Welcome to Behavior Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Given the strange and turbulent times that we are living through, Kurt and I decided to reach out to some of our favorite behavioral science researchers and practitioners to get their take on the novel coronavirus pandemic that is shaking the world. These special edition episodes will explore a variety of different aspects of the crisis and our response to each of those aspects through a behavioral lens. We know that you may feel overwhelmed by the crisis already. It seems every news story, every social media thread, every phone conversation that we have is focused on some aspect of the pandemic right now. While the news and updated information are essential, we're going to take a different tact. We want to try to understand the science behind our reactions and our behaviors and how science can help us cope and move beyond the current crisis. In each episode, we talk with a different behavioral science expert and get their best thinking on an aspect of the crisis. So sit back, take a deep breath, and listen to our special series on behavioral science and the coronavirus pandemic. Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. Today, uh, with our special edition, we have James Brewer, who is the Director of Marketing Platforms, Global Custom Operations for Eli Lilly and Company. James held many jobs prior to this, including Director of Commercial Operations, where Tim and I had the opportunity to work with him on applying behavioral science insights into the company. James is one of our behavioral science practitioner and also a friend. He was also one of the very first people we interviewed for Behavior Grooves, showing up in episode six. So welcome back to the show, James. Hey, appreciate it. Good to see you both. We are glad you're here. Yeah, we are. So James, we're going to ask you a few questions on this topic, but I also know that you wanted to ask us a few questions. So we'll okay. see how this plays out uh, as we go along. But to begin with, I just wanted to ask you about how your views have shifted. We were we were talking the other day and you brought up what I thought was an interesting insight that up until a few weeks ago, you really didn't take the threat from the coronavirus very seriously. So help me understand what, how do you change your mind? What, what happened that made that switch? Well, I think there, obviously it's a, it's a learning curve. Anytime you're introduced to something new, uh, you start from one point and you have a choice. Am I going to continue to investigate and learn and be willing to change your stance? That's called learning. And agree, when you go through a leaning, learning process, it means that you're in a place where you might be wrong. And mm. that was the first step. Um, and where I was exposed to it, just like most Americans, is we heard something happening over in China. We heard they were shutting down and quarantine. And I'm like, okay, well, it, it spreads and it's maybe in, it's going to really be a risk to the older population. But, you know, in general, it's 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 just basically a view. of the, It's like the flu. And we've survived the flu. And I was putting the numbers of the flu together. And I think, you know, here in the United States, uh, we can have millions and millions of people infected. And we actually have tens of thousands that pass away each and every year from the yep. not in the 2,000, 3,000, but in the range of 20, 30, 40, 50,000 deaths. And I'm like, we, we can manage this. This is something we've, we've done before. But what changed is understanding and listening to, in particular, this latency period. This period where you could be infected and not know it and not have symptoms. And that's distinctly different than the flu. Many times we get the flu. And within that 24, 48 hours, you start feeling it. You recluse yourself. You might be in bed. You might, and you do it because you just don't feel like being social. This one, you're infected. Number one, you don't know it. And all of a sudden, you start connecting. And there was this visual 
dot um, simulation. You might have seen that was posted out on LinkedIn. I saw it on Facebook. It's been reposted, but it's an actual simulation of different scenarios of one is a full quarantine, one social distancing, one's not doing anything. I can't remember the fourth one, but the simulation runs multiple different ways. Um, it doesn't ever come out this, the, it doesn't go through the process the same way because it's an AI driven. The solutions on the, on the back end look very similar. And that is a wide population is going to get it regardless. And there's different ways we can er, take this virus on and eradicate it in the safest manner in the social distancing that. And when I saw that probably about two and a half weeks ago, it started changing my mind, like, wait a minute, this is going to influence and impact us. Um, and simultaneously, that 14-day la- uh, latency period where we don't know it is where it's going to spread very rapidly. Yeah. And those two pieces, one was the visualization that someone had put together along with this latency, really sort of connected as saying, okay, something, this one's a bit different. Yeah, it. it I think there's a, a piece of this that you you talked about this earlier where uh, you thought about it as the flu. And I think a lot of the conversation that people had early on in this, it was it was related to the flu. And that that's kind of a similar thing when you have what we call these black swan experiences, where these these experiences that are highly impactful, but very rare do they happen. So we don't mm-hmm. even have a language around them to be able to describe them. Correct. Uh, right. And so what happens is we try to associate them with things that we are familiar with and know. And so, uh, you know, and some people claim, oh, there was malicious intent on some of that. And I, I'm not going to, we're not going to go no, there. But I, the, the idea is that, you know what, we just have a hard time. Behavioral science, our, our, our brains aren't necessarily wired to be able to uh, extrapolate all of the information that is coming in that is new and how significant this is, uh, along with other variety of other things. So we have to we have to compare it to something. And the things we compare it to are those things that we're really familiar with, which may not be a good representation of what is actually happening. That's right. We go back to what we think we know. And then at some point when you get exposed to new information, it doesn't, the dots don't connect and validate what you know. That's where you have to sit there and go, I'm going to, and you have two choices, really. One is I'm going to stick with what I know, even though I'm going to be in a state of ignorance. I don't mind being in a state of ignorance as long as I open the door and say, I don't want to be ignorant anymore. And that's what transpired about two and a half, three weeks ago. Being called ignorant is is very different. You know, we associate ignorance and stupidity. I think choosing to be ignorant and not educating, you fall, you move yourself quickly in stupidity. If you're ignorant and willing to learn, you've opened the door and you've exposed yourself to an opportunity that will, quite frankly, in this scenario, maybe make yourself, more importantly, our, our communities, starting with our families, our communities, and then broader, right now, the globe, um, in fact, it's really fascinating if I have to, I don't want to go too far on this, but if I have to say one of the most powerful things I've seen in this in a positive light, and I've heard this said many times, so it's not unique to me, and I'm talking about some of our leaders, I'm seeing different size of our of, of what I would call, we call them politics, but a different size of policy owners coming together. And finally, just in the last few days, I'm seeing very divergent views on many other topics coming together and saying, you know what, we're in this 
that we've got to we got to start working together, regardless of our policy difference, regardless of this one. We have a common threat that humanity does right now. Put everything else aside. We've got to come together, hold hands or sorry, distance. <laughs> Bad analogy. Uh, we have to we have to come together and start working together. And I saw the mayor of New York, the mayor of San Francisco, actually acknowledge working closely with the White House. And those two city mayors are very divergent on most policies with the current White House. But on this topic, they're, they're working together. And what that we as American people and the world, quite frankly, need to see that to have any confidence when we get through this and we're moving from the state of ignorance into learning. So while it's happening me at an individual level, I'm also seeing this starting to happen in what I would call policymakers or our leaders, regardless if we want them to be our leaders, we'll step that one aside. <laughs> but, some, but And I mean, on both sides of the aisle, right? Oh, I know, I know. And I'm just saying, when you start seeing people working together, like, okay, you're putting your differences aside. This one is a common battle. And I've started hearing this term. Humanity has a common threat and we have a global war going on. And, 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 and that means people are starting to go through I want to move from ignorance. I want to go to, and I'm talking not everybody, but the general populace of leaders are saying we need to start being collaborative. So, James, I want to go back to this really beautiful way you were talking about moving from open ignorance to saying, I want to learn. It sounds like there was a curiosity. So how much of your your own transformation in thinking about this was something that you felt came from inside, sort of a self-motivation Versus how much came from, you know, really kind of the, the, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's doing it this way. I guess I better conform. Well, I think there are two, I think they're both happened and they sort of, and I can't tell you which happened first, but let me just share with you on a personal note. Um, you may or may not know it. My wife is a physician. And so we started having these conversations and she herself actually with her deep knowledge of the classic flu and, and things of that nature was saying, you know what? are we overreacting? This was three weeks ago and she was looking at the numbers from a flu perspective and she goes, maybe we're just not familiar with say just the common flu. And, and if we were familiar with, maybe we'd be doing the same things with the flu. And so that, and we were going back and forth and we said, well, what's unique about this? And so part of it, she started going down her deep, deep understanding. She did a hundred, went back over a hundred years looking at CDC reports all the way back to the Spanish flu and she started looking at how they're spread. And so here on a medical side, she's doing that deep dive. So I had a little bit of insight there. Of course, I don't have that same level of medical knowledge she does. So we, I went another way and started researching the best I could. And that's you know from different, uh, quite frankly, uh, Googling it, from hitting on LinkedIn, finding different responses. That's what was happening, what I would say in a personal note. And then simultaneously, our company a week and a half ago, a week ago this past Monday, Monday, so we're in our second week, our corporate Eli Lilly said, all of you, go home. You're not to be at work anymore. The only people at work were um, those that are critical to core, our research scientists, our distribution teams, and our manufacturing because Eli Lilly manufactures, produces research medicines that we the society, not in the United States, but worldwide need from our diabetes all the way over to our cancer, life-threatening, and indeed, even our research scientists have partnered and over the last three weeks have jumped in to try to find a cure or at least something that can help medically. 
with the COVID. So that was the external. I'm like, okay, if my organization who comes from a very deep scientific background, um, if they're making that, and I have to tell you, I was still starting on that path. Remembering learning is not just, oh, I'm willing to learn and therefore you adopt all the knowledge. It's a continuation. My first reaction when I heard that happening announcement, I'm like, what are they doing? Because immediately I started thinking, are they really just trying to shift the legal response of me getting sick from (laughs) to me personally? And I actually raised that to my, we we have a leadership team and I raised that openly because I feel very safe in the environment that I work. I can raise questions without ridicule. And so we have a learning environment and that's a big shift in our culture over the last 10 years. Um, And I think it's a good positive move that Lily's continuing to make. And my supervisor looked at me and he, he, well, we were (laughs) on conference call, but he said, you know, James, it's a fair question, but here's the reality. We're trying to minimize the risk for our core operators. So if you think of a workplace downtown Indianapolis, Indiana, with over 12,000 employees, and and I don't know the exact numbers, but bear with me, let's say 3,000 are core to the research, manufacturing, distribution. We want them as safe as possible, remove the rest of us so we reduce the potential risk. They then put in multiple, this wasn't about shifting prior, this is about those that we need to continue to do core operations need to have, in essence, corporate distancing from the mass of us that would possibly bring in. Now, here's an interesting outcome. I just had a conference call with leadership across the globe with Eli Lilly, our speaker, um, was our CEO, our senior vice president um, of HR, and our, um, individ- our doctor that's leading all health services. And they had a call, open, transparent, and they shared something out of the 40,000 employees worldwide at this present time, as of today, we only have four employees infected with COVID. Now, no one thinks that's going to be stable, by no means, but that gives you an example that we reacted to two weeks ago by doing the social distancing. And it wasn't just leave the place of work, apply that in your own lives. Yeah. And I think that's what people have, and they've been recommitted in multiple messages. It's not just Eli Lilly social distancing, do the social distancing within your own family and your own communities. Yeah. So James, I remember talking to you when we were working on incentives and we talked a lot about unintended consequences. And so there are, you know, factors when we're putting incentives together that sometimes play out where we think it's going to drive these behaviors, but there are some unintended behaviors or consequences as a result of the plan that we put in. One of the things that we talked about the other day when we were on the phone, but also I think that is just in coming out with this is that there are probably going to be some unintended consequences from the actions that are going on. Some may be positive uh, unintended consequences. Many of them might be not so positive unintended consequences. Correct. Wondering if you have any thought on, uh, again, some of the things that maybe you've seen uh, and, and taking that perspective of looking at this from a uh, you know, potential unintended consequences, because that's what we had to try to do with incentives, because you can't really fully understand until you do a, a look back, but you always try to understand like, well, what could happen here if we do this, right? How are people going to try to game the system? What do you think are some of the potential unintended consequences of, of, of all the reactions and the way that things have been handled? 
Yeah, well, first off, um, I do remember those conversations. I remember the first time you introduced that. We had run a program, and we had two or three objectives, and we hit those two or three. And I was sort of ecstatic because it was something we had tried to learn how to do, and that's why we partnered almost 10 years ago, I think it was now. Um, and I'm like, why are you asking that? We achieved what we set up the objectives. We had those, <laughs> we hit them. And you're like, James, you, you realize, and you explained what you just said, Anytime you do something, there's also a negative. We need to reevaluate and said, okay, we achieved that's great, but let's do an after act. What else did what else happened that we can see that was not expected? So in this scenario, so that again was that learning of saying there's pros and cons here, what's going on. I think the biggest thing that has really, really uh, been an unintended, and it's not lost on anyone, but it's real, and that is the shutting down of the service industry that we're so reliant on mm-hmm. is not only now, but will be for the next 30, 60, 90 days, devastating for our communities, for individuals, for families. I have uh, probably every one of us has either a personal friend or family. And I'm not just talking food service. I'm talking the airlines, the cruise lines, the food services, the bars, all of those that has been absolutely a, a, a whole stop shutdown immediately overnight. And these are a segment of our population. And we can say, oh, it's five or 10%. I disagree because the ripple effect, I was thinking through this, I was recognizing that these places, even that they're doing carry out, they're at one third or one tenth of their staffing. And all of a sudden, and their revenue is going to be coming down immediately. Now, all of a sudden, the rent space, that Mm -hmm. may not be able to take care of rent. And then that real estate guy or person, I should say, that owns the building, maybe they're going to have a ripple effect. So this this untold that the the restaurant can't pay the rent. Well, then the owner, and we all know these occupancies make a living. The the people that own, we say, oh, they're rich. They can sandal it. Maybe they can't because they have a larger bill that they have to pay. And so it's this unintended consequence of immediately – the frontline employees, and what are they going to do? And I can tell you their stress level has to be off the chart. How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to pay my gas bills, my electric bills, all those daily things? Because I can't, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And yeah. that may or may not be a fault of their own. I'm not trying to go to that. It's just a fact of reality. And all of a sudden, they've got maybe, and some of these places are saying, you have two weeks severance. That's it. We have one more check for you. And they're going, I can survive two weeks? Well, here we are. And in fact, I was talking to the general manager of one restaurant. And he said, James, probably the scariest thing is good news, bad news. I, my wife just called me and they, they, we had to re-roof our house. And it was at a very large expense. And we took our cash savings and did that. And then this hit. I don't have emergency funds anymore. Those are the type of, and that's just one story. How many thousands of millions of people are going to have that same story? The car stopped working. I had $2,000 repair. I had to use my, whatever the case is, we all know those scenarios. And those are some of the unintended consequences. And that's just the start of it. Yeah. You had talked, I, I, I agree with you at the the ripple effect of this goes much, much broader than what we think about. I was talking or I heard somebody the other day 
who's a lighting specialist. And you go, all right, lighting specialist. Well, the lighting specialists work in large-scale meetings. They're the ones who put up all the lights and different things for your meetings. Well, there's no meetings. You got to think about the sound technicians. You think about, you know, all of the people that work at convention centers and various different things. So that ripple effect keeps moving out and is much larger than just that immediate, oh, yeah, airline industry employees, your restaurant, different, you know, these are impacting a much wider swath of the population because of that ripple effect. And then if they don't have any money, they're not going to be spending that, right? So you talked about rental and various different pieces. So that's going to happen and different things. So, yeah. And when is it going to start hitting bigger companies? At, at what point do companies that are multi-billion dollar organizations like like the size of, of Eli Lilly, uh, multinationals, the the global 500, the global 1000, eventually they're going to be impacted as, as well as if this continues to, to remain uh, as dark and deep as it appears right now. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you an example of one of the major airline carriers. I don't need to reference it, but it happens to be my sister-in-law works for them. And she had received a week ago the biggest promotion in her career ecstatic. It was a competitive job. It moved her into an executive leadership level and she was ecstatic. The next day she received a message from her HR that she had six weeks left in that job, even though she just got it because of this turndown. And she had six weeks and at the end of six weeks, and this is one of the major, you can name the top three, it's one of those three, and she has six weeks left and so it's already happening. I know it's an airline industry, but we're, this is some, and, and so she's like, holy cow, did I just make a mistake? Well, the mistake was her previous job probably would have given her immediate dismissal and gave her two to four weeks severance. And she has the job for six weeks and then she'll go into the severance only because she moved up one level. So it's already happening to these larger companies. So what are businesses doing well and, and what are they again, not taking into account and maybe missing at this point. If we start looking out, uh, again, some of those larger organizations, but even even some of the smaller mid-sized companies and even going back down to mom and pop situations, you know, are, what is going on that they're getting right, that they're doing the right things? And then what are the things that Again, they're not taking into consideration? You know, have you thought about that at all? Either of well, you, by the way. Yeah, I, I will say this. I saw some of it. The it, I know by law they had to shut down. But what I saw immediately was it wasn't like let's skirt around this. This they, so what was doing well? They immediately created action. Restaurants here in Indianapolis were shut down on Tuesday, St. Patty's Day, right? And mm -hmm. and many of them didn't wait till Tuesday. They shut down on Monday. Period. They just. It's, I was up in Indianapolis. And everything went down immediately. They didn't wait for the next day. In other words, what did they do well? They're taking this serious. Why? Because they have employees that are at risk. And they did it and they're, they're, they did it at a financial risk, right? They could have gone one more day, one more meal. No, they said, if that's happening tomorrow, why don't we shut down now? So I think one thing I'm seeing is people are listening. And in the general populace, they're taking it seriously. Um, and I think that's really good. I don't know if I have a good insight yet as to what people aren't or where companies are not doing things well. 
Um, if they are, it may be part of that own, as I referenced, they may be going on a learning curve where they're, they're, they're doing what they think is the right thing. And re- maybe retroactively, they may look back and go, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Or maybe I should have. The biggest pain point, again, it goes back to many of these owners are asking people to leave. And they know that they, in fact, I just heard a, 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 a discussion with four local small business owners out across the East Coast. And every single one of those business owners talked first about their employees and mm-hmm. safety and their heart went out to them because they don't have the resources um, to, to take care of, of, their, of their employees. So I think there's first step, I'm seeing more people or businesses doing the right thing. Um, I, I can't say I've seen someone doing the wrong thing. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't. I just am not aware of that. I see people taking this very serious and creating action. Now, one additional benefit, and this is uh, not intentional to raise the company I work for, but because we're a research scientific company, there's some interesting things that we are doing that I thought was really, really fascinating. Number one, we're partnering around, and this was just shared with our senior leadership today, but we're partnering around the globe with, with governments because we have really deep expertise in testing. And in fact, um, Lilly has actually set up one of the first drive-through testing um, units in the city of Indianapolis with our research scientists and with our capability to actually set up that testing environment. And so um, that's starting. um, And it stunned me that they can get results within two hours. Wow. They, They can literally do a swab um, I shared, shared that with my wife and she goes, okay, that's pretty quick. It's a little bit, it's, they must be swabbing. Apparently the, the, the flu can also be tested very quickly, but there's some similarities there. But I like the resources of the company. And it was first and foremost, immediately with a bit of a pilot tested for employees. Okay. Moving into in partnership with the, the Indiana State Health Department to bring that to the lo- larger population. That's a good example of a company taking a good example of a company taking um, their resources and applying it to this urgent need. I think that's neat. Additionally, we've, I mentioned this earlier, we've signed, uh, I think it's been three weeks ago uh, with another company and we're accelerating our research in the fight of this virus. And so we're, that means we've shifted priorities. I'm sure this wasn't on our, our docket for research and our CEO said, no, carve this out. We have that expertise. Let's start partnering and getting it going. So, and I'm, we're not unique in that, but I think that's where we see good behaviors of a company doing the right thing. How do you think the crisis will change the way we work? Um, short term, I think there's something that's happening for the most of us, and that is short term. In fact, our CEO, Dave Rex, made this comment. He said, you know what? We're not trying to get back to normal in all things. In fact, this might actually help us learn we're more together than we are apart. Over the last two years, we have a construct called Team Lily. And it's fascinating because it, it was a cultural, I mean, we, we had to, literally, I remember Dave Ricks coming out with a, at a corporate CEO event and He's in a pair of jeans with a T-shirt that says Team Lily. And I'm like, are we doing another slogan or is this real? Two years <laughs> later. But, but, let's, but that's, that's what we have in companies today. Is that a slogan? It's exactly. 
In two years, it's still his number one priority. And the reason why is even in large companies where you think, oh, you're all working together. No, we have our oncology department. We have our diabetes. We have our biomeds. We have, I'm in ops and someone's over here in HR. Someone's over in IT. And we have our, we've, we've fought for our resources. We have our team and we, we, we work as a small team, but do we really work collaboratively as a large team of 40,000? And Dave Ricks goes, yes, that's the only way we're going to increase productivity and come together. So I actually think what's happening in microcosm of Eli Lilly is happening globally. And that is we're starting to see divisiveness set aside and we have a common, common battlefront. And it may be the first time, at least in my lifetime, that I'm seeing people from everywhere around the world going, what's number one on your mind? It's this virus. How do we, what can I do? And maybe all I can do is that social distancing with me and my family. I think there's other things that I can do as a, in my community. I'll come back to in a moment. But I do think that's one of the benefits, and I hope that stays, is that we learn when we work collaboratively, we get an opportunity to accelerate outcomes. And I'm, I can only, as Dave Rick said, maybe that's when we get to some state in the future, there's some learnings we have. We don't go back to the norm. And this would be that collaborative team collaboration. I think you bring up a really good point that because we are forced into some of these new situations that we have been pushed beyond what we would normally do, that we respond differently and we react differently. And organizations that are smart, that will, as you said, take their ignorance, but be open to learning from it. Yes. They will be the ones who will be able to say, all right, what did we do in this times of crisis that, you know, we did because we had to, but now we can choose to do them because we found out that they were better. Uh, it may be attitudinal. It may be cultural. It might be, you know what, that Team Lily thing, it isn't a slogan. It really is this aspect that we have to do. And we need to actually double down on that. It might be ways of saying, wow, we realized how much we needed to be bonding and, and belonging and that the social distancing was really, really hard, you know, not being able to be there with, with other people. So let's make sure that we we actually focus on that in in, you know, times when we just do it naturally, but maybe not purposefully. So I think there are lots of those types of things that we can, we can do. You know, the, the big issue is will people and will organizations learn from this or will once this crisis kind of uh, passes, you know, things fall back into everyday normal of what it was before and we don't take the time to reflect back on it. That's my fear. I think it's a fair fear. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll ran across two individuals, probably, I'm guessing, uh, in their 20s. And independently, they both said exactly the same thing. This feels like I'm watching or I'm inside of a TV show. It doesn't feel real. Yeah. It, my response to him, I said, you know, it's fascinating. I, I think I understand that. And I, I mentioned to both of them, I said, you know what? I said, probably your great-grandparents, my grandparents, went through something that was the closest thing in proximity, and it was called World War II. And they got into rationing. They got into corporate, you know, at that time, it, I'm going to use this term, gender-specific war, where the men went off to battle. The ladies went into the factories. 
and they weren't making normal goods. They shifted the manufacturing. I don't know if you had the opportunity to watch that TV or the recent movie Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, Ford Jr. actually made a reference. He was pointing out at some scene in the movie to his manufacturing. He said, my daddy actually participated in the war by turning this plant into building um, fighter planes. And he said, we were part of that. And they had to come back in and recognize a re a change. Now, why is this relevant? Because they're coming out of that. There were some learnings and there were some, now I have to tell you, these two young gentlemen that I talked to, they don't have, they're not exposed to that. So there was a generation, multi-generation gap in their sense, as well with mine. I'm hoping that out of these learn these type of massive events, and, and again, I've heard this, this is not mine. Maybe the closest thing we as a world have done this is that last time we were in a world war. Um, and now the difference between that time and this time, the common item we're fighting isn't another nation or other people. It's a virus, but we collectively. And so that's why this is unique. And hopefully what we do is we walk out of here and reflect because it was such, it wasn't a little blip, right? Yeah. It was a massive blip and it's happening now. And we're only in the beginning stages of it over the next 30, 60, 90 days. And so I cannot imagine on the, this time next year that we're like, oh yeah, that was just a little thing. No, it's going to change the way we think. It's going to change the way we live and it's going to actually have an impact on us I believe for decades ahead. Well, let's just uh, let's wrap this up. I think one of the pieces of this that why we you you had reached out to us, you know, asked us if we were going to do this, and we started talking in various different pieces of this. But it it spurred us to the idea that we actually are going to have this series on this, and so thank you for that, James. We appreciate that. Uh, the idea of this, I think, is really to understand. You know, we're not the experts on on you know the epidemic and and how the virus spreads in various different pieces. What we want to explore is the human dynamics of this. And so, if you had to just think of one thing, one aspect that, from a personal perspective, that you think this has really highlighted for you, what what is that one thing from a you know, how has it made you feel or you and your family? What what are those aspects from a behavioral perspective that uh, has, has impacted you most? I simply think it's connected us in a way, and I'm saying not just the three of us, not just my family, not just my neighbors down the street, but it's connected us human race in a way that nothing in my lifetime I ever seen the connectivity. I can watch a news article or I have team members that report to me from around the globe and I can be on the phone with them. And guess what? We're facing the same thing. Mm. Some things that are happening across the world, uh, uh, two, three weeks, four weeks ahead of us, how do we reach out to them and learn from what they did or didn't do right? I'm not going to take blame. I'm not going to, this isn't about finger pointing. I'm just going to say, Italy's been hit hard. Are there some things that we can learn? And I know there's data coming out of some small communities in Italy that quarantined very rapidly and, and, the, and, the, and, and others that were a little more uh, not as responsive as fast and they have very different incidence rates. So I think this construct of I'm being connected to people globally and 
you know, in our world today, it's sort of like I'll pick and choose who I want to connect with. And they're like me. Therefore, I'm going to connect with them right now. There's not a lot of segmentation going on. There's a lot, not a lot of, of, and I know there's a lot of issues we have from race divide to gender divide. I get that. But guess what? Some of those things are being set aside and we're coming in together and connecting on one thing. We're called humans and we're being under attack by something that it's not. And I hope that is something that we can take with us. And I'm going through that a bit. I'm reaching out to, and I've said to my kids, they're all teenagers. They can all drive. They're healthy. And I'm like, hey, guys, we need to start reaching out to some of our older neighbors and knocking on their door, sending them a text and saying, hey, what do you need from the pharmacy? What do you need from the store? I said, we don't even have to go inside. Just set that at the, at the door, knock and walk away. I said, we can do that for our community. And it's something that, yeah, I might go over and help them out if I see them moving furniture or something. But we're not proactively do we just go across and say, hey, can I go get your groceries for you today? We're doing yeah. today, and I don't know what exactly how you would category, categorize that, but it feels like my community just got bigger. I think you you bring up a good piece that I've noticed, too, is these times are scary. These times are to a point. They can be isolating, but you also see people reaching out that you know, they're not associated with you and yet they're reaching out to say, how can I help? Or you're reaching out, you're, you're being proactive in this aspect. And if there is one thing that I, you know, as a, as a result of this is that if we have that broader sense of community, we have that broader sense of who is in my tribe, right? The, the idea that, this tribe is only these people that think and act and look like me, which is typically what we, yes, we, do we think about thinking about tribes as yep. opposed to saying, no, this tribe is really humans. We are a human race. And as such, we should be looking out for everybody. This is yes. not this is not us versus them. It is us versus that that virus that is, you know, potentially, you know, gonna take over and 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 do a great deal of harm. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll add one other piece to that. And, and we have some enabler today. If we go back to the Spanish flu 100 years ago, they didn't have the ability of doing what we're doing right now. They didn't have the ability to have LinkedIn, Instagram, WeChat, whatever those social, social connectivities that we have. We do have that today. So we can get the word out. We can connect with people in a way, even though we're in isolation, we can mm-hmm. have these conversations. We can still pick up a phone. They didn't have that capability. And so we can change the course of history while we can look back and say, how did they deal with it? Well, we can learn some things. I get that. But we can also communicate it much more rapidly. We can actually keep our body and minds and spirits uplifted. There's a group of us. There's about eight of us that we've been connected for different topics unrelated to this. But I found during this time we're, tr- we're still texting and group chatting and stuff of that nature. And we're, there's a couple of them that are uh, of the individuals that are um, quite funny and they're, <laughs> they're throwing out videos. And I said, keep doing that because in this light of darkness, we need to have, or this time of darkness, we need some light shining through and sometimes just some humor and some connectivity. Maybe you don't have to go and do, you know, get out and pick up something for someone. Maybe you can actually call someone and say, how are you doing today? Yeah. Okay. And I, it can be that as simple. And that might be halfway around the globe. 
It might be your next door neighbor. It doesn't matter. We can distance. The social distancing is physical, but we have the ability to connect. And I think that technology is being leveraged today such that we'll set these differences aside. And I, by the way, these differences are real and we do have some issues that have to be resolved. We all know that. Today's the time we come together and have a common battlefront and we go, let's work on this together. I love that you can frame this incredibly terrible and chaotic and treacherous disease in such positive light, James. I, I, I am, it's inspiring. It really is. I really well, love. I, I really love that. So thanks, thanks you, for sharing your thoughts on that. You're welcome. But I, 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 I don't think there's a lot of original ideas. I search, at least in my mind, I have to go and connect. But I, I, I read something that someone said: in these times of darkness, you have to face this, the, the sun and put the shadow behind you. And I love that analogy and that visual because in the shadow is a darkness. Facing the sun puts a shadow behind you and that's the path forward. So what do we have the opportunity to create a light for someone else? And by the way, when you actually give, there's a physiological benefit that we as individuals, when we connect and lift somebody else up, you yourself are being lifted up. And I'm not trying to be philosophical. I actually know that's a real experience because I'm doing it right now with my neighbors, with my family. I'm reaching out to people that otherwise I wouldn't call up and say, can I go to the grocery store for you? And I have the capacity and I have the health to do that. So why aren't I, why am I not? I'll give you one other tactic. When I'm tipping generously, I usually tip, I think pretty good, 20%. Wow, pat myself on the back. But in these times when I'm carrying out, I'm tipping 60%, 100% of the bill. And the people are looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, we're in this together. I have a situation where I'm not at risk of losing my job tomorrow. They do. So transferring that over, and I don't believe, I love the fact that our governments are doing what they can, and let's continue to see that happen, but I'm not one of these people that just wait for the government to solve my problems. We're part of this government. We can help one another. And if that's maybe an uplifting uh, journey to the store or an extra 20 bucks or an extra $100 and you have the means to do it, do it. So that's facing the sun and getting the shadow behind us. Well, with that, I think that uh, wraps this up. And thank you, James. We appreciate it. This is going to keep going on for a while. And and, uh, hopefully we can uh, live up to some of those uplifting things. And so that's that's our hope. And and thank you, James, for for sharing that with us and, and for being here. Hey, it's great. I look forward to connecting with you guys again soon. Take care. Welcome to the special edition of our grooming session, where Tim and I groove on some of the ideas and concepts that were inspired by our conversation with James Brewer. All right, Tim. Yeah. This was actually one of our first conversations in this. Yeah. It's, it's not being published in the, in the same order that we recorded these, but what did you take from this conversation with James? Well, just props to James for being a guy who really sees his life. He frames his own life as a lifelong learning, like life is learning for him. And and I think that that is something that we can all take away from us, right? So when he talked about how you can be wrong if you're open to changing your views, you know, that, that it's okay to do that because uh, we can continue to shift, we continue to grow, we continue to learn, we can start with an idea, int- have new information introduced. This reminds me of Cal Turnbull, 
mm-hmm. and then you end up with a, a, a new point of, of view, hopefully, right? Uh, with this with this new input of data and knowledge. And I love that he has this very, very he's very comfortable with the idea of I can change, and we right. all change. And the the thing is, we all change. We're always changing, and and yet in our binary sense, we like to think, no, 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 my self identity is just mine. And yeah, I had this, I've been this way my whole life. You can't change me. Yeah, and that's of it, course that's not true. It, it's interesting. James and I have had the conversation before. He he actually considers himself ignorant, and and he thinks that's a good thing because he yeah. said, you know, I'm ignorant on a lot of things because I just haven't looked into them. I haven't studied them. I don't understand them. Uh, and as long as you're open, I love the idea that being ignorant isn't equated to being stupid. Being ignorant right. is is actually just not knowing. And as long as you're open to learning from that, that's a great way of approaching this this world and looking at you know different things as they're coming in because particularly again in this time and age with the coronavirus and COVID-19 and all of the things that are coming in, we are all ignorant to a degree. Right. Uh, We are all in a state where we should be thinking about what can we learn and what do we, what can we throw away? Because a lot of our beliefs that we have may be informed uh, by something that isn't as relative as it should be to the current situation and so we we should all be thinking that we're ignorant and we should all be open to learning from the experts and learning from uh, the things that are going on. Corporations, uh, corporate leaders especially, are particularly adept at making big changes uh, when these calamities occur. And I remember specifically uh, being on a leadership team in 2008 and 2009 when the leadership team wanted to, to make some changes, but there wasn't really a, a hue and cry to do it. And then we have this huge uh, panic with uh, with the financial crisis in in those years, and it was a perfect opportunity to say, "Let's reset. Let's 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 change our true north and go after something. Let's change our tactics and our strategies, and make changes to the organization at that time." And in some ways, it's easier to do it under these circumstances. And we could do that in our lives too. This is a great time to reset. And as you said, throw out the the stuff that you don't like about yourself and adopt the new things that have kind of been in the back of your mind to say, I really kind of wanted to do this. And guess what? Now is the time to get started doing that. Well, you brought up a really good point earlier where you talked about self-identity. And I think one of the things that gets in the way of us being able to change or to grow in these types of situations is that idea that our self-identity or even our social identity, uh, it's fearful of being wrong, of, of changing that, right? It's scary yeah. for us to have our self-identity threatened. It's who we are. It's what we are. And, and oftentimes that self-identity gets gets muddled in with our beliefs and our ideas and what we make as, as public statements. So somebody says, uh, you know, this is a big hoax. Now they have to double down on that because it's a public statement that they have made. Uh, and that then is uh, part of their social identity, which again is relates to your, your self-identity. But I think that gets in the way of what James was talking about, which is this idea of being uh, a constant learner in this and being able to change your viewpoints in the way that he did on this. And, and I think there's a couple things that we can think about 
as yeah. we're thinking about self-identity, right? So how do we shift? How do we how do we shift with some of this? So one of the things, and again, we we, we keep going back to Annie Duke on on a lot of these things, but uh, you know she has some really brilliant ideas out there, yes. and and one that I have uh, adopted, I think for myself even much more so since we've talked with her, is just this idea of thinking in probabilities. Uh, try to eliminate the binary thinking of yes, no, up, you know, up, down, good, bad, all those kinds of things. Thinking more in terms of percentages, uh, or she talks about thinking in bets. Right. Thinking of, all right, I'm 95% sure that this is a hoax. Okay. <laughs> right, As opposed to right, saying, right. this is a damn hoax. It, it, but, but but if you say this is a damn hoax, then you you're you're solidified on that, and that that becomes part of your your identity, and it's harder to let go of that. Mm-hmm. If you say, "I'm ninety five percent sure." then when new information comes in, you're just adjusting that percentage. So you're going, mm, ah, now I'm eighty percent sure. Yeah, then more information comes in. Now I'm fifty percent sure. That's a great now, way to save face. It's right? a great way to save face. Now, more information comes in and you can actually have your view change. It's always this idea of saying, let's make sure that we are facing reality as opposed to trying to just be right. <laughs> and that's a that, big thing. That's a, that's a big statement right there. <laughs> that's a really huge statement because I like to, to say that we're much better at rationalizing than we are at being rational. that's even a better statement and a bigger better statement yeah Uh, it's it's true though we 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 tend to rationalize things away better than being rational about it in advance yeah but james is so good about talking about it's okay to be in a state of ignorance and to just make that a part of your self-identity right make that a part of who you are to say i don't know everything about everything so there's a whole bunch of things that i don't know about and so i hear something from a messenger that i trust i'm you know 70 80 percent sure that that's likely to happen but i'm not a hundred percent but you bring in a good point. It's it's if you can build that that element into who your self identity, what your self identity is, so that I am somebody who is ignorant and I need to learn or I want to learn. Yeah, that's a great part of that self identity yeah. because then being wrong isn't isn't a threat to your self identity. Right. It's actually part of who your self identity is, and you can you can build from that. So I think that's a great thing. You know, some other facets about this, though, is that, you know, the way that we get around that self-identity piece often is by having really poor memories or memories that shift <laughs> and as right. need be. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Could Yes. Well, it, I, you know, I don't have I a never video said that. Yeah, I, I never <laughs> said that. I never believed that. What are you talking about? How do you I would have never said that um, in various different pieces like that. I have a friend who who says, I can't remember that. He doesn't say, I can't remember that. He says, oh, I can almost remember that. <laughs> I can almost remember that. That's good. And, and I like that there's a little bit of a positive spin rather than, I don't remember saying that. I can almost remember that. <laughs> I can almost remember that. <laughs> well, and you mentioned messengers, right? And and I think the other piece of this is is when the talk and the points of view of society or your tribe start to shift uh, and messengers are a key part of that, Yeah, then it's easier for us to shift as well because then our social identity isn't one of being uh, as opposed to the tribe that we're in. It is in alignment with that tribe 
which means if I stick with my current beliefs, then my my identity, my social identity is out of whack with the tribe that I've identified with. So that gives a big piece of this, which is why our leaders and the messages that they send in times like this are so important. Yeah, and, very important. And, you know, we can debate whether or not they've been good or not, but that's a whole separate conversation. So, Well, there, there's a couple things that get blended in my mind from conversations that we've had with other guests just in the past 48 hours, right? Is learn how to think on your own, study history, you know, study go history, back, go back and look at, at history and understand what's going on for yourself and then think on your own. Yeah. Right. Like, like draw conclusions yourself so that you're actually doing the critical thinking. You're engaging that system to thinking to say, what could this be? And of course, we don't have the brain power to do it on everything. But if you're going to make decisions about your own life, about how you're going to process something or make a big stand, do the thinking on your own. Take, what, take time to give it some thought. What did Christian Hunt say? It's like, don't outsource your critical thinking. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I loved were... that line. Don't yeah. outsource your critical thinking because it's so easy to do. Or Barry Ritholtz, when he talked about, you know, the the fallacy, the the narrative fallacy, and, you know, don't fall for the simple story. Yeah. Right? Make sure you, you look back and look at that history because this isn't a hundred year flood from a financial market perspective. We it's do not. this every 10 years. So look back at that history, start planning for the future and, and run with that. So those are good. What, what else? Well, Lori Santos would say uh, our brains are trying to lie to us all the time. <laughs> so you gotta be, you gotta question that. Uh, how about, how about this idea that unintended consequences happen? Right when something monstrous like this comes into our world, and they shut down the service industry, of course, there's, the ripple effects are extensive. And James did a great job of playing this out with how how people uh, get get impacted by one major decision. Yeah, um, but there, but this unintended consequences side that there are, are are is data saying that there's less influenza influenza A because of social distancing and hand washing. Yeah. So who, who could have, so, who could have anticipated so that's a positive. That? That's a positive. <laughs> I mean, you could have, but you know, we don't, right? We don't necessarily think of those when we're putting a, a policy in place or we're changing something, we're looking at the direct impact that that usually has without, as James talked about the ripples and the ripples, I think are really important as we go yeah, through these things. They are. And so understanding how those ripples impact others and other things uh, is part of this unintended consequence. The positive impact of all this is fewer people are getting sick from the common flu. Fewer people are going to die from the common flu because we're keeping them safe because we wash our hands and social distancing <laughs> and all of, it's, you know, we don't cool. touch our face, right? So those are good things, right? There are unintended consequences from businesses. You can you can predict that certain businesses are going to, that the economy is going to tank. But there are some businesses that in this time are, are probably going to do well. Right. Uh, and again, maybe those aren't unintended, but, you know, Zoom, from what I understand, is just it's it's taken off in the past, you know, week. Uh, you have all the streaming services, Amazon, Target, I think, are doing yeah. delivery services. All of those are, are still doing well. And, and granted, that might be not that may not be unintended. But it's a ripple from this action that is contrary to the 
the main theme of everything else that is going on. And, and right? what about learning new skills? We are yeah. really figuring out how to use, we're being pushed into a new level of technology, A, because it's available, but B, because we kind of have to in order to stay socially connected. Yeah. Physical distancing, but social connection. Yeah. I think all of those things are happening. And, you know, some of them are positive. Lots and lots and lots of them are negative. Right. But to that degree, um, you know, James was pretty hopeful about some of the long-term consequences that he this is. could have. I, I like his optimism. I like his optimism. I'm not sure if I fully am in alignment with that optimism. I, I, there's a Pollyanna kind of thing of everybody coming together and singing Kumbaya yeah. that I don't think is necessarily what is happening, nor is it a, a potential outcome of this either. It could be, I hope it could happen. If we work at it, we may be able to make it more likely. Yeah, let's think about it in terms of percentages, not so much in absolutes, right? Yeah. So it's not like the world is going to become better, but it's to the degree that we might improve some aspects of our lives. Yeah. And part of it could be could be this uh, being more collaborative. I think that that, that could really become a, a powerful factor in the way that we do our social groups and the way that we do our work groups. Uh, collaboration could be something that we value just a bit more than we do today. And I hope that's the case. I'm, I'm, you know, 30% sure that it probably won't have a big impact. <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm open to to that percentage being changed up or down. I, I'm hoping it will be changed up. Well said. Well said. All right. Thank you for listening to the special episode of Behavior Grooves. We hope that you found it interesting and insightful. If you liked it, please let others know. We think that the topic is important, and maybe we can help in educating people about how behavioral science can help us all out in this current craziness that we are going through. Also, please let us know if you have any thoughts or ideas that would be helpful or that we could share. You can reach us through the Connect tab on the Behavioral Grooves website at www.behavioralgrooves.com or through Twitter. I'm at T. Houlihan and Kurt is at What Motivates. We really do love hearing from you. And this topic is one that spurs lots of emotions and thought. As part of our mission, we want to expand and inform the community of people who think about positively applying behavioral science to life. One way that happens is through leaving reviews. If you think this podcast is beneficial and should grow, we would really appreciate to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast server you use. It only takes a few minutes and goes a long way to boost us in the algorithms that are used to generate search results. Also, please check out the show notes. We are linking to a number of resources articles, podcasts, newsletters that we vetted to bring good facts and ideas around COVID-19 and the coronavirus, its impact and ways that we can help slow down the spread. There is a lot of information that's being pushed out to everyone each day, and we are weeding through it to find good stuff so that you don't have to. We truly appreciate you listening. Now go out and wash your hands. <laughs>